acknowledge that you are our Savior, our rock, the one in whom we trust. Lord, we acknowledge that you are our healer, the great I am. And right now we just pray that you would just settle over every heart and every life. Lord, as we worship you, may you receive praise and honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Welcome. You guys ready to worship? Mind if I pray too? Lord, we just praise you for this opportunity to come together. God, I thank you for your presence. God, for it is in your presence that we're changed, we're transformed, we're renewed. God, we thank you that as we enter in, God, I pray that every person here would just lay aside the cares of the day, the weights of the world, the things of the past. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that we would just focus on you. This is all about you. We're here for you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you've done and what you're doing and what you're going to do in this house today. God, I thank you that it won't be just here, but it will be the beginning of something new and fresh for each person represented, every family represented here, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done and what you're doing. We praise you in Jesus' name.
have our being. We thank you, God, for choosing to make us alive at this time in eternity, at this time in the whole spectrum of, of life and existence. God, we thank you. We thank you for what you've done in the past and what you're doing now and what you will do in the future. We thank you for our hope of heaven and may you be glorified. Let's just give him thanks. My tribute. give you praise and honor. Lord, and may our lives bring you glory both now and forever. And all of God's saints said, amen. You may be seated, church. Thank you, worship team. It's so good to be together in the house of the Lord. Just want to welcome you here to Neighborhood Church on a beautiful October Sunday that we're having here. Uh, just a few announcements that we want to bring to your attention. It's good to have Evelyn back. Abby, we've been praying for you. <coughs> 
Also, I don't know if I see Maggie, but there's others that we do need to pray. Continue to pray for Margot Short. Uh, she's a dear friend of our church, and she is back at Channel Point, but she spent about 10 weeks uh, at the rehab center in Aberdeen at Pacific Care. But continue to pray for her. She is getting stronger and better uh, little by little, and she wants to be back with us as soon as possible, but she needs continued strength and healing. So we're going to pray for her, and there's always others. If you have an unspoken need or a request, uh, just a need that you had before, would you lift up your hand, please? Amen. You know what? Let's stand together one more time, and we're going to pray. Debbie Pena, it's good to see you, Debbie. Let's stand. Lord, thank you so much. Lord, for the family of God, thank you for your goodness, Lord, your grace and mercy. Lord, thank you for bringing Evelyn back. Thank you for bringing Debbie Pena here, Lord. And right now we pray for um, Margot Short. God, we ask that you would touch her by the glory of God, heal her, strengthen her. Lord, enable her, Lord, just to walk strongly in the power of the Lord that she could come back to God's house. We pray for Maggie, Lord, and many others who are not able to be here this morning for various reasons. And you saw every hand that was lifted. Jesus, I ask that you would just confirm your love in every heart, Lord, that you are the great I am. Lord, you're the alpha, the omega, the first and the last. And I just pray that you would just answer every request in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Only announcement I have for this morning is we have the distinct privilege of having some missionaries here. Uh, Weston Stover and his wife, they're going to be coming here in just a brief moment. Uh, this is our Missionary Sunday. We have some um, some faith pledge cards. We didn't put them out in the seats, but typically on Sundays, on the first couple Sundays of October, we give the opportunity that if you would like to support the work of missions, if you could please fill out this card and let us know how much you would like to support on a monthly basis. There is an incredible work of missions that goes around this world. We support many missionaries. You can see their pictures on the wall outside in the foyer. And uh, this morning we get to hear about what they're doing. I have particular fondness for this missionary because he was here four years ago on a Wednesday night and he brought a jug of fried crickets, roasted crickets. And my daughter decided to try my, I, I better stop while I'm ahead. But uh, he brought some crickets and surprisingly some people tried them and you know what, there's some more out in the foyer. He brought them again this time if you'd like to have some roasted crickets. So Weston, if you'd come I don't know if your wife's coming to you, but let's give him a warm Central Park welcome as he comes to share God's word. Morning. Yeah, I did bring the crickets, so I hope you're hungry. And um, they're fresh crickets. They're not the same ones from four years ago. So, yeah. I mean, not so fresh. They're not alive still. But there's plenty for everyone to have a few. <coughs> if my girls don't eat them all first, they do. We put them out and, like, I think they don't realize that they have to share the crickets with other people. But um, it's good to be here with you. Yeah, four years ago was the first time I had the privilege of coming out here. And uh, came out for a Wednesday night and saw the wall of missionaries there in the foyer. And I, I think I was just shocked. I was like, that's, that's a really full wall of missionaries. <laughs> I was like, man, it's amazing that in a small corner of the world like this, that you can touch so many other corners of the world, isn't it? And uh, so I thank you for what you've done for, for advancing God's mission all over the planet. Because uh, I don't think it's easy sometimes. I think it's you know, we get inspired to give to missions and stuff like that. We feel like we're making an impact maybe in the moment, but then we, it kind of just leaves the mind sometimes, and uh, you don't realize that the, the things that you're doing to support missions around the world are having an impact every day. 
every day in so many places, and so thanks for doing that. Um, yeah, my name is Weston. This is my family. Um, a couple of them are here in the service. Allison and my two-year-old daughter, uh, Millie, who adamantly refuses to ever go to kids' church. She really likes grown-up church instead. So we bring her along. The other one has no qualms about leaving us and going to kids' church. So Leona is in the back room right now with the others. And uh, we want to thank um, Pastor Stephen Jay because uh, when you're a missionary and you come back to the States and you uh, are hoping to share your vision with people around, around the area, uh, usually you have to do a lot of phone calling, a lot of emailing, and a lot of uh, not getting any responses. But... <laughs> Every once in a while, a pastor will contact you and ask you to come out. And that is really a blessing when that happens. And that's what happened in this case. So, Pastor Steve, thanks for making that initial contact and reaching out. We appreciate it. We just finished our, our second term in Africa. Um, we were in Mozambique for a term. Now we're in Malawi. But lots has changed here in America since we left back in 2019. And maybe you don't realize it because you've been living it every day, but as someone who's been overseas, um, it, it's kind of jarring to think about. Uh, we had a pandemic. I don't know if you had that here in Aberdeen or not, but we had one. Um, and we had, let's see, what did we have? We had a, a president impeached. We had a new president elected. We had, uh, we're having a war. We're experiencing a war in Ukraine right now. Uh, when we left in 2019, a guy named George Floyd was still alive, and everything that has transpired since that event. Uh, there was no January 6th committee, and Roe versus Wade was still the law here in America. And so in the last few years, you've gone through it. There have been quite a few divisive issues here in the U.S. And so you can imagine that we had a little bit of apprehension coming back to the States, um, especially regarding like COVID, right? And all the, how, how has America changed? since we left. And we're like, do people still shake hands? Or is that like offensive if you try to shake someone's hand? I didn't know. Or is it offensive if I don't shake your hand? I don't know. So uh, excuse me if I try to shake your hand. But, and also, I mean, so I have this chronic condition um, where every time I, I think it's a, it's a, from growing up in the Northwest, it's probably a Northwest allergy. But every time I walk out into the sun, I sneeze. Does that happen to anybody else? Or is it just me? Oh, yeah. Oh, good. There's a couple people it happens to. That's the most—I've never seen. Great. That's—thank you. You're my people, Aberdeen. Thank you. Yeah. But apparently, in the, in the United States, it has become um, a crime against humanity to sneeze or cough or expel any sort of air from your body um, since COVID happened. So I try not to do that. I try not to walk out into the sun uh, as much as possible. But, man, it's been heavy, hasn't it? It's been a heavy time. And I think that we could all benefit from a little bit of levity in our lives. So that's part of my goal today is to, to laugh a little, have some fun. Um, I hope that this is a group that can laugh. Is that true? Are they a group that can laugh? Yeah, are you sure? Okay, I hope so. You'll need to. One of my not-so-serious hobbies uh, is collecting photos of unintentionally humorous African signs. There's a good amount of them out there. And, and since we're missionaries to Malawi, uh, Malawi is nicknamed the Warm Heart of Africa, which is a very quaint, sweet nickname. I prefer to refer to it as the land of unfortunate abbreviations, as you'll see in the next picture. Um, 
you see these signs as you drive around in our Assemblies of God churches, and it's, it is unfortunate. Actually, it's a funny story because um, this was becoming quite common. I don't know if they were trying to save space or what, but uh, the national church leadership had to set out a memo and be like, can you guys stop abbreviating your signs? Like, I know we speak English, but in some parts of the world, English has like different types of profanity than we have here. And so you're not necessarily doing us a lot of favors. And so they started changing their signs back, but rather than repainting the signs, they just like painted emblies in underneath. And so anyway, it didn't change much, but um, the truth is you can learn a lot about a culture by paying attention to its signs. So as we go through today, uh, I have a collection of of them that I want to show you, some of my favorites, and hopefully they'll make you laugh, um, and hopefully they will teach you a little bit about, about Malawi and help you understand why we're passionate about being there and why we're excited to get back. Um, being overseas, however, I do still pay attention to the news here in America, and if anything has been evident from afar, it's that in this country, we have this tendency to expect that everyone be like us, to look like us and think like us and behave like us. When we don't, it bothers us. We say, you do you, as long as I like you. And if I don't like you, don't do you. I prefer if you did me in that case. But God didn't create us to be homogenous, did he? He didn't make us all the same. And that's not a political statement. That's just the truth. I mean, God is the most creative mind in existence. And not only did he create countless variations within the human race, but he actually likes them. And he actually expects that they would become part of his kingdom, all those variations, without having to conform and become like one another. And so in Revelation, John gives us a, a glimpse of what the crowd in heaven would look like. You know, probably know this verse. The Apostle John says that it appeared before him a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. And you read that, and you realize, like, you can't, you can't expect everyone to look and act and think the same way, right? Because many of the things that make us different are actually a beautiful part of God's plan. And so, if we want to bring heaven to earth, which is what our goal is, right? then we need to, to learn to love our fellow man. We need to learn to stand with him or her before the throne of the one who created our differences and not just focus on what Bob needs to change, you know? And so I have a silly example. It's kind of rooted in language differences. Uh, like I said, Malawi's official national language is English, but um, it's not necessarily widely spoken. Uh, I think 10% is fluent in English. And so uh, the most widely spoken language is Chichewa. And Chichewa uses the same alphabet as English, but there are some exceptions. Uh, the letters R and L are interchangeable. So you can just use them for each other freely, as you will. And that gets a little confusing. Uh, but knowing that key difference is really key to effective communication, and especially to uh, understanding businesses like this next one, um, which is nearby. You might have to read it again just to see it. But this is a wholesale, a farming wholesale shop. Uh, yeah, I don't know. What do you think they sold? Yeah, I heard an oh. Oh, oh okay, yeah. 
Uh, I'm, I'm sure that mom and pop are splendid people, okay? But um, a slight misunderstanding is all it would take to, to cast some pretty serious shade on these fine folks. And so it's things like this that we're talking about. I mean, it's not just a cross-cultural problem either. It's an everyone problem, isn't it? We love to meet needs. We're problem solvers. And so we see problems and we offer solutions. But the question is, do we usually, do we do the hard work of seeking to understand the real needs at the roots of the problems we see? Do we do the hard work of, of listening and, and asking questions without having an agenda already in place? And usually the answer is no. I mean, we're not very good at that. We're more like uh, this automotive center in the next slide. Uh, I don't know about you, but I would not take my, my car to a place called Quick Fix Automotive Center, right? I mean, that means something to us. Do we want a fast fix? Yes. Do you want a quick fix? No. You don't want a quick fix. The connotation is different. But when it comes to our relationships, I think we love quick fixes. It's like, how can I solve this problem with as little effort as possible? <laughs> Have you ever gone to a doctor with a, a set of symptoms that you're, you're mildly concerned about, and you lay it all out there, and kind of, you know, risk the doctor's judgment to, to put it all out on the line, and, and he just looks at you, and he's like, yeah, that sounds like indigestion, right? Like, come on. I mean, let's take this seriously. Let's look into my issues. It's not just indigestion. We're quick to give one-size-fits-all solutions to very personal problems, but we hate it when it happens to us, right? Because it feels tone-deaf doesn't take into account the intricacies that make my problem complex. If they were really this simple, they wouldn't be problems. And man, has this ever been the case in Africa? The Western world, we see Africa as an impoverished and corrupt continent, and it is. And it, it rightfully breaks our hearts. And so we want to do something. And what do we do? Well, world, around the world, uh, we have commonly tended to throw money at it, right? We tend to throw money at it. We host feeding programs and build orphanages and, and establish refugee camps and start programs to stimulate the economy. And those are, aren't inherently bad. In fact, often they're very good and they can be a part of the solution. But historically, we've done them in, in very Western ways. And uh, we've expected of the people uh, very Western Behaviors, and we have placed Western measures of success on them. And the dissonance between what we expect to accomplish and what we end up accomplishing can be quite alarming. And somebody got it right in the next slide. They said, welcome, but don't bring confusions. I can, I can support that, you know? Because these aren't Westerners. They don't think like us. They have different values. And so... What we set out to attempt oftentimes backfires, oftentimes fails, just like when we do it to people in our own culture. And sadly, uh, this has been true at the Western Church at times, too. In our obsession with, uh, with saving souls, we often truncate the process of discipleship, which is just as important. And Africans, whose, whose cultures tend to be very superstitious, will usually just take 
what they've learned about Jesus and they'll kind of incorporate it into everything else that they hold sacred. And so you get this muddled religious slop. And it's like a little ancestor worship here and a little witchcraft there and then a dash of, dash of Jesus thrown in on top, right? And so as a result, many churches today are not centers of truth because they were not concerned with they weren't as concerned with making disciples as they were with making converts. Our approach may have valued God's truth, but it hasn't always valued how to interpret that truth into the local culture. Now, the good news is that Jesus doesn't treat us like this. He doesn't take one-size-fits-all approaches with us. And in Matthew 10, verse 30, we see Jesus telling us exactly this. He tells us that God knows us intimately and cares for us personally. He says, even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. The very hairs on your head are numbered. And in some of you, that's not really that impressive. But many of you have a lot of hair. That's amazing that God would know that. He has looked, I mean, what he's saying is he's looked into your eyes, right? He's, he's registered your tears. He's heard the cries of your heart. He knows your deep longings and your cares. He knows your fears. He knows where those things come from. He knows you better than you know you because you're valuable to him. He pays attention, spends time with you, and he customizes his love for you. I think we tend to think that because God loves everybody equally that he loves us all the same. Not true, okay? My two-year-old daughter, Millie, she gets a thrill out of being tossed around. Like, you can tackle her you can roughhouse with her. You can throw her over your shoulder like a continental soldier. And she will laugh and laugh and laugh. She knows that, she, that you love her when you play with her like that. My four-year-old, Leona, is the opposite. She hates that kind of play. And, like, when she starts to lose control of her body, you can see her physically tense up, right? And so while roughhousing tells Millie that Daddy loves her, it tells Leona the daddy is a cruel sadist who cannot be trusted. Right? God's love for people is equal, yes, but it is not, is not generic. It's specific. And so when we go, when we go to show our love for other people, when we go to show our love for our church or our colleagues or our friends and family members, man, we really got to show them a love they understand. If they don't get it, if they don't comprehend my actions as love, then did I really love them? It's like when I was taking uh, AP Calculus in high school. I had no idea, no idea what I was doing. And so um, I would get to the exams, and I would just write a whole bunch of numbers and mathematical symbols down in the space provided because I knew that if I showed my work, I could get a 50% which was better than a 0%, right? And you don't have to get anywhere close to the right work as long as you show work, okay? And uh, it was true. I would get half credit, and that's what I was going for because 50% is better than 0%, but 50% is still an F. And Jesus wants us to get an A in loving other people. And we don't need to be too hard on ourselves because we're not perfect. And it is truly hard work 
when you realize that relationship requires something different in every situation, it's hard. But just understanding, just understanding that love requires something different of me in different moments is a huge step in growing the skill of love. So in our lives, um, Allison and I, are, we're keenly aware of the fact that we are not uh, inclined towards perfect expressions of love, but in love, we are deeply committed to loving in appropriate ways. And so um, for that, it means specific things. For us, it means that everything we do in Africa should be designed in partnership with Africans. We should give them buy-in and input into the process. Everything we do should be reproducible by Africans. That means not doing it in American ways, but doing it in African ways. It should be accessible to Africans, meaning they should be able to afford it. And it should be founded in the African expression of biblical principles. And the fancy word for this is, is just contextualization. <laughs> the Weston Stover Dictionary definition of contextualization is, is very simple. It just means making things make sense to people. Okay? Can we make things make sense to people? And we see an interesting case study of this in the book of Acts. Uh, in chapter 17, Paul's in Athens, and he notices a disturbing trend. It says that uh, Paul was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. And so he sees a, a problem, and he immediately jumps in to try to correct it, just like I would probably do. He says he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day, those who happened to be there. Now, did Paul ask why the city was full of idols? Did he try to understand where they were coming from and having all these idols? Uh, we don't get any indication that he took that approach. He just kind of started debating with people. <clears throat> and so, unsurprisingly, he gets some pushback, right? It says, a group of philosophers began to dispute with him. And this is our first glimpse into how Paul's sermon is going. Not so good, right? It's not like people are falling on their knees, are they? I was reading this, and I thought, you know, isn't this kind of the way that most of our conversations go these days between American Christians and American non-Christians? They're like, well, the Bible says, and they're like, what do I care about what the Bible says? <laughs> you know? And so it goes on, and it says, some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? I thought, wow, they're calling the Apostle Paul a babbler? That gives me a lot of hope. I don't know. Makes, makes me feel better anyway. But Paul, he's preaching Christ, and yet he's totally missing his audience, right? So they pull him off to the side. And they say, okay, Paul, let's try this again. You are presenting this new teaching, and uh, you're bringing some strange ideas to our ears. In other words, uh, we don't have a context for what you're saying. And we want to know, like, what in the world you're talking about. And this is really something for Athens, because Athens is, a, is like a, a center for philosophical thought. They're debating ideas all the time. And yet what Paul is saying is going right over their heads. So he kind of, he recognizes the situation he's in, and he does something brilliant. Part one, not brilliant. Part two, genius. He steps back, he takes a deep breath, and he starts making some sense. He channels 
the Greek philosophical mind. He says, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. Which was an accurate observation? Yeah. It's also a complimentary. I, I don't think this would necessarily be a compliment if someone said this to us today, right? We don't think of religious as necessarily a great adjective to describe ourselves. But in the time, sure. A complimentary observation. You're very religious. For as I walked around and I looked carefully at your objects of worship. In other words, I'm paying attention to what you give attention to. I even found an altar with this inscription. It says, to an unknown God. Now, what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. This is deeply contextualized, gospel-centric relationship. And so I want to spend a minute here because this is a great model for us. He starts with genuine affirmation, right? He's building positive sentiment, and that positive sentiment is going to start gaining him some trust with the people. I think in our society today, the problem is that nobody trusts each other. But if we can start by finding something that can be genuinely affirmed in another person, it'll start to establish trust. I mean, this is more than like, you know, I like your shoes or, or I don't know. I mean, a lot of times we like to affirm things about people that we just really shouldn't be affirming about people. But, but if you can really find a genuine affirmation, you, you establish trust. And then he shows that he's not just interested in being heard, but in actually getting to know them and actually doing some hearing. And this is a bridge that will connect with anybody. I think the reason people are so skeptical of others these days is because they expect to get a sales pitch. They expect to get a sermon. They expect to get a scolding from us. What they want is to be heard. Paul says, I'm going to listen to you. And then he finds his opportunity here. He the unknown God part is a masterpiece. Um, but do you realize this is almost stumbled upon, right? He would have completely missed this if he hadn't taken the first two steps seriously. If not for some careful attention to the people he wanted to reach, he never would have seen this open door that God provided him. And I think the temptation would have been for Paul to bash these guys for idol their idolatry. But instead, Paul builds another bridge. And he's like, you know what? I saw an altar to an unknown God. An unknown God. How wise you must be to know that you don't know everything. It seems like truth is really important to you. And then, having built that bridge, he just fills in the missing pieces. They were ready to listen. And so in three sentences, Paul goes from being a potential ideological threat to being a comrade because he chose to make things make sense. He listened. He affirmed. He joined in. I think one of the tragedies of American society over the past three years is that um, we've gone from, like, thinking every, of everyone as my fellow Americans to thinking of everyone as a potential threat to my way of life. How can we ever have genuine community when that's our guiding approach to relationship, right? I think that uh, as effective as social distancing may have been for limiting the spread of COVID, uh, it also had the really unfortunate side effect of distancing us socially from one another. 
And while the pandemic may eventually end, I think we'll always be left with a sort of social COVID until we start building bridges again. And so Paul's approach is one we have to emulate because it throws the door wide open to sharing the good news of Jesus. In Malawi, uh, they call Chichewa the heart language. And they call that because even if a person can speak English, they're not necessarily communicating unless they're speaking Chichewa. It comes from the heart. And I think we have to speak each other's heart languages. Otherwise, we just, we just keep on babbling. It'd be difficult to understand, like the, the next photo. There you go. I don't know what that was pointing at, but... So I want to share uh, a little bit about what we're doing in Malawi. Hopefully that'll be of interest to you. And I'm going to start with the next sign. This is uh, just outside the city where we live. It's pointing to an open defecation-free zone. That zone is startling to me. Um, not so much in what it promotes, because I fully am in support of that. Uh, but what it implies about all the other zones kind of makes you stop and look at the bottom of your shoes. Um, but open defecation is really common in Malawi. And why wouldn't it be? I mean, it's a poor country. There's no public restrooms, right? You're not going to blame people for going when they need to go. But the problem is, is that, of course, this leads to lack of sanitation. Lack of sanitation leads to the spread of disease. Disease is a great driver of poverty. And so it's a vicious cycle. And there's a lot of these vicious cycles in an impoverished nations. So another one is food supply, right? Over the years, poor farming methods have been imported and normalized in Africa. And because the methods are so inefficient, they create food scarcity. And food scarcity obviously creates hunger, and hunger perpetuates poverty. And so the problem isn't that Malawians aren't farming. It's not that they're not trying. It's not that they're lazy. They are. In fact, I was amazed at how many Malawians farm. Almost everybody farms. It's expected that a Malawian family will farm personally the maize that's going to feed their family for the next year. And typically, a, a family needs about 12 bags of maize to last 12 months, okay? And the typical farmed plot is about a half hectare. And a half hectare, using traditional farming methods, comes up short of 12 bags of maize. So generally, they aren't able to, to feed their family for the entire year. And you ask, like, if the, if the land practices are so bad, why don't they just change their ways? And there's a few answers to that. I mean, first of all, it's tradition, right? It's the, what they've always been doing as long as they've ever known. You know, they don't, there's no other concept out there for how to do it. And so uh, there's that. But beyond that, there's no room for experimenting with new ideas. If the experiment fails, your family doesn't eat. And so how can you take that risk upon yourselves, but better ways exist. See, most of the common farming methods in Africa today, they're not consistent uh, with the ways that God created the earth. He really did create the earth, I think, for our benefit, if we're willing to use it the right ways. But instead of, instead of flowing with it, we, we tend to resist it. And so my wife, Allison, has a huge heart for for seeing Malawians bring nutrition to their families and transformation to their communities and Jesus into their relationships. And over the past few years, she's done a lot of work seeking out lots of training in discipleship-based agricultural methods 
um, that have proven to have greater yields and to allow for better nutrition. And these methods, they're not imported. They were developed in Africa, by Africans, for Africa, in cooperation with God and with his creation. And it's great because it's accessible to everyone, even the poorest person in society. And again, it only makes sense if it makes sense to that person, right? And the results have been astonishing. Man, whereas the, a farmer usually produces 12 bags of maize on a half hectare, these methods, and they're called Foundations for Farming, you can look it up if you want, uh, can produce 12 bags of maize on a 16th of a hectare. And it's exciting because what that means is that the farmer can either use all that extra land to either grow more well, a well-rounded variety of crops and provide for better nutrition, or he can grow extra maize that he can sell at market and then begin to generate an income which can help him to dig his family out of poverty. Like I said, it's a big risk for a family to switch things up, though. And so we have uh, tried to minimize that risk, risk as much as possible, and God just gave us this idea to start a demonstration farm on an empty plot near our house, with the idea being that it'll be a center where people can come learn the methods, and they can see the foundations method uh, results up against the traditional farming methods results, and they're starkly different that they'll be empowered with this knowledge, that they'll take it back to their communities. And the best part is, is that the gospel is at the core of the method. So as communities begin to see uh, and be blessed by the increased crop yields, they're going to understand that God is the one who's calling them to work in harmony with him, not just in this area of their life, but in all aspects of life, and to live under his compassionate care, that he's a God that cares about me. And so we're really excited about what lies ahead, uh, we already have a team of five Malawians. You can see in the next picture. Uh, oh, that's a picture of Allison shoveling. She's not a Malawian. There they are. Five Malawians uh, that are, are being trained. Um, they're working with Allison to get the demo farm up and running while we're gone. And they couldn't be more excited for how, what this means for their lives as well. So Allison's leading this initiative, and I know there's no one better suited to develop such a compassionate, people-focused ministry than her, and I'm really, really happy for her. Um, I get to do a slightly different ministry focus. That's kind of unique, because sometimes it doesn't always get to work out that way, but we're blessed in that sense. Um, and I think that my ministry focus is summed up well in the next sign, which is from one of our local shopping malls. Uh, the name is Welcome to When Nothing Works, Anything Goes Shopping Mall. And I don't think this name is trademarked, so if you're looking for a business name, you can, you can have a, this one. Um, I don't know what they sell, but what I do know is that this sentiment is actually quite common. Because <laughs> life is hard in Malawi. And sometimes it just feels to them like no matter how hard they work, they can't seem to catch a break. Right? Like economic opportunities don't come along very op often. So in the event that one does, man, anything goes. And that explains why the kind of the flip side of poverty here is corruption. It's not surprising to you, I'm sure, that Africa experiences uh, just ridiculously high levels of corruption in positions of power and authority. Why? In impoverished nations, power is always being fought over, right? And so it's extremely fleeting. And leaders know that their time is short. And if your time is short, then are you going to use that time to help others, 
or to set yourself up for future success. Well, most people, honestly, would use it for themselves. And that's the case. They try to set up their families uh, for the greatest possible future, regardless of who they got to step on to get there. So as a leader, what do you do? You get rich. Let me see in the next shop here. You get rich any way possible. You get rich by means of exploitation. You exploit in the name of survival. And so poverty drives corruption, but in turn, corruption fuels the continuation of poverty. So what do we do about this? <clears throat> well, we can try to address corruption at the top with the leaders who are already kind of drunk on its fruits, or what if we could find the leaders before they were leaders? And they were just ordinary people. Introduce them to Jesus, disciple them into a transformed life, and uh, modeled after the compassionate, merciful, self-sacrificial life of Christ. Then maybe by the time that they actually step into power, Jesus has already performed a surgery on their hearts, and they're going to be able to, to begin to lead uh, with that kind of servant leadership and to bring healing to many of the social ills that plague Malawi and, and nations across Africa. That's our prayer anyway. So where do you find leaders before they're leaders? Does anyone know? Find them on the university campus. Less than 1% of Malawians attend university, meaning there's a huge leadership vacuum, a void. And so there are so few students that graduate that once they do, man, they're just scooped up into influential positions. And, and the journey from entry level to, to authority is actually quite short. And so if you want to find the future leaders in Malawi, I can tell you where to look. You just have to look on campus. So what better place to create dynamic discipleship communities than on the university campus? There's so much potential to breathe justice and mercy into the future of a nation. And so that's why I spend my time pouring into students and teaching them how to pour into others because I want to see a cycle of compassion replace that cycle of corruption. Wow. I want to show you one of our friends. This is Gift. Uh, he's, he's a cool guy. He's orphaned at a young age, lost both of his parents. He was taken in by his grandmother and raised. Uh, and they were poor. They're so poor. Um, but he's a driven guy. And at some point as a young teenager, he realized he had an opportunity to maybe change his life. And so he threw himself into his studies. And he actually graduated top of his class, which allowed him to win a scholarship to university, one of the few. And he's going to graduate next year. And I know that five years from now, Gift is going to be a who's who in some realm of society. He's going to have authority. He's going to have people under his command. And a little taste... A little taste of the fruits of power is all it would take to flip him. Flip him from visionary kid to selfish, self-serving boss man. He's a prime candidate for continuing the oppressive legacy of corruption. But Gift now loves Jesus, and during his years at university, he's been discipled, and he's been transformed. He's grown a tender heart a deep desire to follow Christ's example. And he has a vision for giving back to the community that has kept him alive throughout his life, that since as a young kid helped raise him when he lost his parents. 
And so I think if there's hope for Malawi, it rests in the hands of people like Gift. He's the reason we're there. Another reason we're there is because of people like you guys. One of the most encouraging things we get to hear when we're on the field is when we send out a newsletter and somebody responds with an encouragement or a prayer or just excitement over what we're able to see God doing. And so if you want to, if that is something you want to partner with, if you want to, like, just know, be updated um, about what's going on in Malawi, we have these cards on our table. They have a picture on one side, and they look like a postcard on the other side. And all you need to do is just, if you want to throw your email address on there, we'll just send you a, an update once in a while of what God's doing in Malawi. And you can get it back to us, or if you want to take it home, it has a spot for a stamp, so you can even mail it back to us. <laughs> We also have prayer cards at the table, and like Pastor Steve mentioned, we have an African delicacy. We have roasted crickets. These ones are roasted. Sometimes they just straight up pick them up off the ground and eat them, but um, don't let your friends leave without trying a cricket, okay? Pressure them into it, even if you have to pretend that you ate one yourself, okay? So I want to pray for you, um, but before I do, I want to kind of leave this with a challenge. I've heard it said that the gospel is like a diamond, diamond has many sides and the gemstone world calls each the sides of a facet uh, of a diamond they call them facets right a facet each facet of the diamond gives the diamond a unique look and it's the reason that we can look at a diamond for so long and continue to be enchanted by its beauty because you turn it and you see different intricacies and, and light patterns and stuff like that it's the same diamond and the gospel is the same way we can look at it from lots of different angles, and each angle gives us a different look, and it connects with a different person or a different stage of life. And there's a facet of the gospel that resonates with every person on earth. And it may not be the same one that resonates with you. And the one that resonates with you today may not be the same one that resonated with you in the beginning. But it's out there. We just have to find it, right? And so we're excited for your desire to help us contextualize the gospel to the Malawian context. But what does it mean for you to make the gospel make sense to your neighbor? What does it mean to make sense, make it make sense to your coworker or to the restaurant server whose table you sit at every Sunday after church? What do they need to know about Jesus' love for them? It's not just that Jesus loves them, okay? They probably have heard that before. What do they need to know about Jesus' love for them in this moment in their lives? What facet of the diamond will bring hope into their circumstances? Again, there's, there's no right answer, and that's the trick. <laughs> it's hard work. But I encourage you to think about the people you cross paths with uh, on a daily or weekly basis. Because if we pay attention, I think God will give us open doors like the one he gave to Paul in the city of Athens. And I think if we walk through those doors, we can change the world. Right here. So I want to pray for that, for you in your lives. Heavenly Father, thank you for this church. Thank you for the, the impact it's had in this community over the years. Thank you for the faithfulness of Steve and Jerry, and um, others who have led in, in numerous ways, God. 
whether it's serving on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights, whether it's um, leading in, in the missions programs, whether it's leading with kids or youth or, or anything else, even those who are, are here cleaning after service on Sundays, God, Lord, I thank you for them. And I, I hope that, you, God, you would just kind of settle in their spirit a, a true grasp of the impact that they're having around the world as they support missionaries. It's not—it's fun to have a missionary to connect with and identify with, but it's not the missionaries themselves. It's the fact that they're sending um, people out just to be your hands and feet, to take your gospel, your good news, to people who are in desperate— need of it, in desperate need of healing and being touched and being identified with in some contextualized way uh, that's really important, God. Lord, thank you for what you're doing in Malawi. Thank you for what you're doing around the world. And I pray that right now that we would kind of just kneel our hearts before you because uh, it's hard to, it's one thing to, I think, to give to missions. Um, it's a sometimes a harder thing, Lord, for us to um, lay down our lives for our neighbor, to lay down our pride for our neighbor. Um, there's always something that we want to hold on to, and I understand that. And so I just pray that um, you'd speak to each one of us right now, God, and you'd identify in us something that, that we can lay down for the sake of somebody who needs to know you or needs to be healed by you or touched by you or spoken um, to by your Holy Spirit. I just pray you would lay somebody on our heart, God, right now. Just lay somebody on everybody's heart. And, and in doing so, God, give them a way. Uh, give them a question to ask or an act of service that they can do to shine some light to that person's life. Because... The years have been heavy, and uh, we don't just need to laugh. We also just we need to smile sometimes, too, God. And uh, This is a, a community. This is a family that has the power to make hearts smile all over this region, God. If you're here and you just feel like, if you feel a little bit kind of lost in that whole idea, um, go ahead and raise your hand. We still keep our eyes shut. If you feel like you need God to speak to you specifically about something and, and you just have no idea what it is, just raise your hand and identify, I think identify ourselves before God and say, Lord Jesus, I really am willing. I just don't know what to do. God, will you pray or will you bless, sorry, will you bless, Lord, these people that have identified their need to hear from you Will you make an action step real to them? And I pray that as, as we go out and we take this, this uh, multifaceted gospel to somebody else in our lives, that uh, we wouldn't be swayed or moved by the results. Because sometimes, God, it takes a lot of exposure before someone warms up to what you have for them. I just pray that we would be obedient to listen to your spirit. God, encourage our hearts today. Be blessed and glorified by our gathering together and the way that we worship you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Pastor Steve, if you want to come up. Thanks again for having us. Feel free to come by and get your crickets and meet our girls. Thank you, Weston. Let's all stand together. I know you're anxious to get some crickets, and we're going to pray here and bless this missionary family. Lord, thank you for the Stover family. Thank you for sending them to Neighborhood Church, and God, we pray for your favor to rest upon them, and Lord, that you would continue to send them to be a blessing wherever they go. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Please go out and greet this family, get the prayer card, and have a wonderful Sunday afternoon. God bless you.